What is going on, Chiefs Kingdom? You are back for another Coach's Corner. This is episode 13. I am Justin, joined as always by my with my guy, Caleb. Caleb, what's going on? Hey, what's going on, Justin? Um, we've had certainly an interesting day from the NFL. There's rumors flying left and right about what could be going on for the season, but college football really took the headlines today. We're also joined by CJ. CJ, what's going on with you, man? What's going on, fellas? Fresh off work, long week, but excited to talk some football. How are you guys doing? Doing doing well, man. Glad to be back. You know, we had a couple weeks in a row here where it was uh, a little mix-up. I was out gone one week. Caleb was gone one week, so glad to have everybody back. We got a great uh, episode planned here. A lot of stuff going on. I'm officially a married man. First episode as a married guy, so we had a... Had my wedding the other weekend. Everything went well. It took us craziness to get there, but once we got there, it was good. So it feels good, and I'm ready to talk some ball. And like you were just saying, Caleb, college football, pretty crazy today with everything that was going on as far as the Big Ten talking about potentially canceling, um, the SEC talking about creating a super conference, um, Scott Frost saying that the Nebraska is going to be playing no matter what. So just what was initially kind of your reaction to this whole stuff, Caleb? So I was sitting here reading the information kind of real time, like everybody was scrolling up and down my phone all day. And it started out, I guess, last night when Trevor Lawrence kind of sparked a trend because, you know, the athletes – have college athletes haven't really had a face yet, but it was Trevor Lawrence. He basically said, we want to play because there was word coming down. That the big 10 was going to cancel the season today, which they did and all that stuff. But from inside of this all, they are saying it's because it's not safe to play during COVID-19. And while that is one thing that's going on right now, something that CJ and I touched on last week for a little bit, was the fact that players are trying to unionize, as we've seen on like players in the Pac-12, they want to unionize. Well, the Pac-12 is one of those conferences that's getting ready to make it official. So a lot of rumblings going on with that. But I know CJ and I have been talking about the athletes unionizing for the best deal possible during this time. And I know that he's been CJ's been feeling pretty strongly about the whole players having to play during COVID and not getting the benefits that they deserve. Yeah, CJ, I saw you tweeted out some stuff earlier today. So why don't you just kind of talk to us on, on that front? Um, I think it's just kind of like, like in all walks of life, like any, even not just like athletes, people going back to work. I think we should always take into account people's safety because at the end of the day, we have family members and loved ones we go home to. Like, Justin, congratulations on getting married. I know I haven't got a chance to talk to you, but congrats, man. That's a big thing. I'm proud of you. Um, but, yeah, any anytime we all come home at the end of the day from our jobs, whether it be playing ball, somebody who's an essential worker, works at a restaurant, someone who delivers packages for a living, works at the post office, anything, yeah, it's, it's a day – or people at the obvious ones who work at the hospital. Um, it's, it's a danger and it's a risk that you're taking. So to think that we're going to put players out there with, A, they don't get any benefits from this if they catch the COVID, and, B – they don't have a backup plan or like a course of action is that there is an outbreak players don't necessarily have a guarantee another year. Do they still get their eligibility back? Are they getting any compensation? It's just kind of, it's kind of strange for me to, to feel like we're going to put not only the players lives at stake, but their family members at stake. If they go home, they can contract the virus as well. 
So it's it's just an iffy subject. Like you can't really put football players in a bubble compared to basketball players because there's less amount of people. So it's it's just I think people are kind of trying to look over the fact of like that players can actually contract this and bring it home. So I, I want the players to play, but I also want them to be safe as well. So I think we should all should like just look at the hierarchy and let's like make sure we're putting safety above the product. So that that's just probably how I feel about it. Yeah, and I think that's the kind of the big thing. And first of all, thank you for the well wishes. Appreciate that. Um, but the, you look at it, and, and my thing, and it's kind of been what everybody's saying is like, where where is the leadership out of this whole thing? Where is the leadership from the NCAA talking to these universities and talking to these conferences and saying, hey, l- listen, we got a plan. This is how we're going to go forward with it. This is what we should do. Players, we're going to put your safety, you know, as a first priority. Um, but we're also going to make sure that we get you your season so you're not missing out on, on that opportunity. Um, and they just, the NCAA doesn't have it. And it just kind of goes to show how poorly run they really are, um, which is a big issue, I think, that people have said for a long time. And this kind of has just highlighted the fact that they, that they really are. And some Jeff Schwartz tweeted out uh, earlier today was, how he thought that college football will pretty much never look the same after this year, just because of all the circumstances surrounding it. And I tend to agree with him. I don't. I don't think you're ever going to see the same college football, whether it's the NCAA afraid of the players unionizing and them trying to get some way to stop that, um, making sure that there's stuff in place that if a pandemic does hit, they're ready for it and they actually have a plan for it moving forward. But I, I don't think that you will see college football being the same as it was, you know, previously. So it'll be interesting to see how they move forward. Hopefully everything does work out for the best for the players, you know, for the coaches, for the universities and, and everybody. You know, obviously we want our season for our own selfish reasons. But I think that, you know, CJ, you put that pretty well where it's you also want to make sure that the players are safe when they're doing that. But. Let's move forward here from the college football talk a little bit. Um, Today, big day, we are one month out officially from the Kansas City Chiefs kicking off their their season against the Houston Texans. There's training camps going on. You can actually uh, check the schedule out. There will be live, streaming training camp live, I guess, tomorrow on YouTube. Um, So you could be able to check that out. And we're going to do a little bit of an AFC West preview here today. So... Caleb, why don't you just start us right off? Let, let's talk about the AFC West. Are the Chiefs the team to beat? The Chiefs are the team to beat without question in the division this year. And honestly, they've completely earned anything they've got. They've been absolutely dominant versus the AFC West, not only since Andy Reid has gotten here, but specifically over the past five seasons. And even more specifically, they've gone on some impressive winning streaks lately versus the Denver Broncos and Oakland Raiders. And it kind of looks like they've had the Chargers number for the last couple of seasons also. But looking at the division this year, how I think it shakes out is I think the Chiefs will win the division. They'll be first place. I think the Raiders come in second. I've got Denver coming in at third. And then I think the Chargers will end up finishing dead last. Okay, that's very interesting. Uh, CJ, how about you? Where do you kind of see this AFC West going um, in comparison to where Caleb had his? Um, I would, kind of similar to his. The only thing I would probably nitpick is on is probably 
if we're being honest, like the wild card is probably the Broncos. Cause I mean, we all know, like if we're a quarterback aside, I believe the chargers have arguably a top seven, top five NFL roster. They really don't have too many weaknesses besides like maybe quarterback and protection, but they have skilled players and athletes on almost every position on both sides of the ball. They really have a really good team. But like Kayla says, we're so used to dominating them because they never really had a legit quarterback play that's good enough to outplay the quarterbacks that we've been grand enough to have in Kansas City. So if I had to, if I had to predict it right now, I would pick obviously the Chiefs are going to win it. And two, my team would probably be probably the Broncos because I believe that Drew Locke and those weapons can are going to get it together, especially in an offseason where – Guys have really had that much like cohesive and time to work as far as like defenses and installing stuff and trying to worry about how to do things. Um, I think a lot of the receivers in that in that groom are young guys and they know how to run routes already. Like Jerry Judy was a proven guy coming out of college. All the scouts had him as the best route runner. So him coming in and learning how to run NFL routes is not really going to be hard for him. KJ Hamlin is another athlete, another fast guy. You just get him in space, get the ball for him. So Andrew Locke, we seen what he could do last year. So he's just getting more guys around him. And no offense, another guy that's going to have a breakout year. People need to watch out for him as well. So. I would pick the Broncos for a second. I would say maybe the um, Raiders possibly finish third. I'd probably put the Chargers at last just because their quarterback situation is so inconsistent. Like we say Tyrod Ty Taylor is going to be the starter, then it could be Herbert, and what if he gets hurt, and what if he's not ready? So their quarterback situation is just so unstable. And I think Derek Carr can get back not to his 2016 MVP form, which he had a really good season that year before he broke his leg. I think Henry Rowe is going to be a great addition to them. He's probably going to be a guy that's going to be up for rookie of the year, offensive rookie of the year for sure. I think his impact will be felt tremendously in that division. Obviously, they drafted him to be the next Tyreek. That's why that speed kills. They kind of try to copy. It's a copycat league. so. But I think he's going to help that offense out tremendously, especially with Darren Waller, Josh Jacobs, and Tyra Williams. And John Gruden's going to try to create some plays to make it a more friendly offense for Derek and try to make get him back on track. But, yeah, I, I think the Broncos will probably be the team that probably will give us the most competition just because of the offensive weapons, and they're going to try to keep up with us off the field. Yeah, so I actually I agree with that, CJ. I have the, I have the Chiefs as first, and then the Broncos being the next team, with the Chargers being third, and then I actually have the Raiders in last. So I guess we got some disagreements on those between the three of us. Um, I'm definitely the lowest on the Raiders, it seems, um, compared to you two guys. But let's let's start with Kansas City since we all have them finishing in first place. I think the biggest reason for me why I have them staying at the top is because of the quarterback they have. I think it's it's a quarterback league. We have the best quarterback in the planet, and that makes it pretty simple um, to be the Super Bowl favorites again. The other thing is, and it's been harped on all offseason, is they just continue to bring back the guys that they had on the roster from the Super Bowl roster. They have the same coaches. They have the same players with very minimal loss. Now, obviously, the, the interior offensive line took a couple blows when LDT opted out. Um, but they're bringing back a lot of guys, and, and that's big when you have such a limited offseason as they've had so far. I guess the biggest the thing that would scare me the most for them going into this season is that interior offensive line, but also the cornerback opposite Charvarius Ward. Um, CJ just hi highlighted a couple of the, the receiving weapons that the Broncos have added, that the Chargers already had, and that the Raiders added, you know, and, and Henry Ruggs. So, they're going to have to be able to defend the pass. So they're definitely need to get a, going to have to find a guy opposite Ward. You know, hopefully that's Breland. Hopefully everything works out with him. But we're kind of still up in the air about what his status is. But you definitely are going to need to defend the pass. And if, if Breland's not there, one of those young bucks is going to have to uh, step up his, step up their game and, and find their way into a starting role pretty soon. But what about you, Caleb? Where, where do you see kind of the strengths of Kansas City line and why we all think that they're the favorite going into next year? Well, I don't think we have to look any further than the offense 
as being a reason why they're going to be able to win the AFC West. I mean, you look back on it, they have pretty much the entire squad coming back from last year. Plus, we're expecting McCole Hardman to take more reps and kind of start to take on that uh, second wide receiver number two role to get prepared for when Watkins does leave. But I think Hardman's going to end up being a solid third option. I really think the Chiefs are going to get after people on offense. You know, we've said everything we can about Patrick Mahomes and the addition of CEH and all that. That's great. One of the things I think that's going to be underrated for the Chiefs this year is I think that people need to realize just how good the defense has the potential to be this year, especially considering that it's going to be year two under Steve Spagnola. I mean, I'm fired up about hearing Juan Thornhill is coming back healthy as ever. I'm excited that Tyron Matthews is back. I'm excited for the fact that they have a guy that can kind of be there every play linebacker potentially in Willie Gay Jr. And I'm really fired up about the defensive line and the pass rush that I think Chris Jones and Frank Clark are going to be able to create this year. Now, obviously, this team's always going to win games because of the offense. But I think that, you know, we saw a few times this past season where the defense had to step up big in games against divisional opponents like the Chargers. And I really think that they've been able to perform despite the weapons that some of these teams have. Because I know uh, recently I was watching film of Tyron Matthew and he's matched up against Mike Williams, who has about a five inch advantage on him. And he just fights him the entire way, even when Williams is kind of pushing off a little bit. And Matthew, the he goes all honey badger. He just times the ball and goes up and intercepts it in the end zone before the half. But I really think that even though some of these teams have weapons, I'm not really completely concerned about the secondary just because I think the safety play will make up for a lot. And I'm really not worried about much on the offense except for chemistry on the offensive line. And I'm not talking about personnel because I think they have a good personnel. I think it'll be fine. We have good tackles. Uh, Kelechi Osimile is going to be a good player. I think he's going to help out Austin Ryder. And, you know, Andrew Wiley, he's serviceable. I think if we can get them all in there, get them those five guys going at once or maybe even get a Mike Rimerson. The big thing with that is, though, are they going to be able to work off of each other immediately or is it going to take some time to mold it and kind of figure it out and see what fits? So I think they could be a little slow getting that up because not a lot of those guys have played together before. But I think that once we get into the groove of the season, everything will be okay for as far as that point. Yeah, I think those are all really good points. And, and CJ, is that kind of the same reason that you had them as their as your top team right now? I mean, obviously the offense is just so nasty, but that defense, as as Caleb was just saying, does kind of get overlooked and how well they played, especially down the stretch last year. No, I completely agree with you, Caleb. We have arguably, I know me and Caleb were talking about this off off air, but I think we could possibly have the best safety duo in the league because Juan Thorhill was on his way to having arguably like a defensive rookie of the year type of season. So we can have him coming back healthy. We already have arguably the best safety in football in Tyron, and we're deep. We have guys like Armani Watts who slept on, Dirty Dan who makes big plays when he's coming in. So I think we have a really good safety room, and guys are versatile. Guys can play inside and outside the box. So And like and like, like you said, Justin, if we could find another dog at corner the other side to go with our barriers, I think we'll be fine. Um, just trying to, like you said, a lot of the young guys like Keys. It kind of sucks not having a preseason or really a camp 
to show those guys and get reps. But if we can find another solid corner, I think we'll be good. But I think our pass rush is elite. Frank and Chris are hungry. I think they're low-key kind of pissed off because a lot of guys didn't have them ranked that highly on the top 100 list. And I think Pat Mahomes is kind of obviously pissed off that he was number four and not being number one. So I think guys are not only, like you said, we have so much cohesive and chemistry guys coming back. I think guys have a little chip on their shoulder. And you don't usually hear that too much from a defending Super Bowl champion, that guy, you won it all, and they're still kind of pissed off because they don't feel teams are really giving them the credit they deserve. Some guys are saying, oh, it was luck, or they shouldn't have done it, or they really kind of came back from the 24 points down, or we were down seven or 10 points at the Titans. So um, I, th- I think we have a highly motivated team. That's probably one of the things I- I'm most proud of that we've done this offseason. Because, you know, usually when guys win, they get kind of soft, they get kind of lazy, and not really as locked in as much as they should be. So I think guys are going to come out week one and play fast, physical, and play pissed off. So I'm ready for the season to get started. As long as we can get out there and get everybody safe, I'm ready to see some guys play some football. And I think our defense, like you said, Justin, is very slept on. Because um, I think we just don't really have a lot of, like, sexy names besides, like, Chris, Frank, and Tyron. I think a lot of the other guys in the defense, really, people don't really respect as much. So I think guys are going to come out there and play with a little edge this year. And I like that. I like seeing teams fight and not really dwell on what they did last year and really focus on proving why and showing why you're the best team in the AFC and, more importantly, the NFL for sure. Yeah, and that's one of the things I kind of wanted to touch on because we all have the Chiefs as the favorite. Everybody right now, Vegas has them as the Super Bowl favorite. I think every analyst realizes that, you know that's a team that, when healthy, if they're clicking on all symbols, they're, they're the team to beat in the NFL. But there is the Super Bowl hangover thing because there has been – it's real. Teams very rarely even get back to the Super Bowl after winning it, let alone win the Super Bowl after winning it. But the, the thing that I kept thinking about with this whole thing is that Pat Mahomes is just a different animal. He's not only the guy that is different on the field and what we've seen him do, but I, like he seems like the nicest guy in the world, and I'd love to hang out with him and have a beer, but he also seems like when he's on the field, the dude's a killer. Like he Don't forget about him running off the sideline, counting down fingers the number of t- teams that passed him up when they played the Chicago Bears. Don't forget, like you just talked about, CJ, with the – the NFL 100 list about number four, and he just tweets out a simple thing of him writing notes. Like the guy remembers those things, and he'll never say anything publicly. And he's the nicest guy you talk to, but you can tell when he gets on the field, that dude is the ultimate competitor. He's on the sidelines screaming his head off, and the defensive players in the Super Bowl are staring at him like, "Oh my god, this guy's lost his mind!" Like he's he's a killer. He's a killer, and I think that kind of people forget that. And that's. Do you think, Caleb, that the the Super Bowl hangover is something that could bite him, or do you think, like I do, that Mahomes is just that dude? He's a different animal, and he won't let it happen. Well, I uh, think part of the thing with the Super Bowl hangover is those guys are going to dinners and banquets all the time, and about a month after the Super Bowl happened, our country has pretty much been in a lockdown-type state. So, I mean – for real, for those guys, all they've been doing really has probably been working out and watching film. You know, they probably haven't been able to go to too many dinners or out to do stuff like that and celebrate, really. But, no, I do think that the Super Bowl hangover exists. I think it exists more for an older team or a veteran team, like guys who have been, like, grinding for, like, who've played together for a long time and been grinding their entire careers and then maybe they'll reach it like in the very end stages of their career. Kind of like how we saw with the uh, Peyton's Bronc- when Peyton Manning's Broncos. You know, it was an older crew of players, and they came out, and they've never really been the same since after they won that, which after all those guys left. But I think that's more of something that affects an older team who may feel more accomplished just because they've been around longer to work for it. I mean, you look at the Chiefs, I mean – 
this is a youthful roster when they have guys like Mahomes on offense and now with Tyree Kill and Kelsey, you know, those guys, they've been here for a while, but they're not necessarily old guys by any stretch of the imagination. And then on defense, you know, Frank Clark and Chris Jones are 26 and 27. You know, they've only, you know, Clark, he was always the second fiddle in Seattle. And now Jones in the last couple of years has started to become that elite player we see. But these are guys who I still think are very hungry because when you hear them sit and listen to talk, they're like, yeah, winning one is great. But what if we can go win two? What if we can go win three? You know, and Tyree Kills on Twitter saying Jordan got six. So that's pretty much he's like, we got to do better than six. if We want to be better than Michael Jordan. But I just think they're a hungry enough bunch with a lot of young, young talent who we've yet to see even blossom fully, you know, like going back to Hardman. And so I think that that combination of youth and experience is probably going to help them not to have a Super Bowl hangover type season. I think it's a super great point because they are so young. Their core of, of players, like none of them are even 30. Kelsey might be the oldest one. He's barely 30, almost 30, you know, barely almost 31. So very interesting point. I think that, I think that's another very uh, good way to put it too is that that older group, you know, sometimes they grind so hard to finally get one. Once they do, they feel a little bit lax. So hopefully that doesn't happen with Kansas City this year. But let's move on to the to the Las Vegas Raiders, a team that I had finishing in last place. CJ had them in uh, third, I believe, and Caleb, you had them in second. So CJ, you talked about Derek Carr possibly being able to return, maybe not to his 2016 MVP type campaign season, but you think that the, the the Raiders and Mike Mayock have put enough around him to kind of get back to a form where they could they could make a little bit of noise with Henry Ruggs over there in Las Vegas. No, yeah, I, I believe because I mean, this coming to this point last year, we were all excited. To, I was actually excited to watch their offense because they added Antonio Brown, they had Josh Jacobs in the draft, and then they had an upcoming guy like Darren Waller, who certified as himself as one of the top five tight ends in the NFL right now. They had added Tyrell Williams from the Chargers, so I was excited. To, and they added Hunter Renfro from Clemson, who's a, who's a clutch receiver. So I was just excited to watch their offense and to see what um, Gruden and Mike Mayock could do with it. And then obviously we know how the Antonio Brown situation turned out with the cryotherapy, and then he ended up getting cut right in the middle of training camp. So um, now that they can actually get their offense whole again, they have their deep threat with Henry Rose. We know he's one of the fastest guys in the league right now as a rookie. He runs a four-two for a reason. So you have that guy added to him. That's going to help Derek Carr's um, progression should be even better because now you have a legit guy to throw the ball to downfield. It's going to take the top off the coverage, help him stop double-teaming Darren Waller so much, open the box up for Josh Jacobs, get him more involved in the passing game. I think people are kind of sleep on how good his hands are as far as receiving and wise as well. But I think their offensive line is better than people think. I know Caleb told me about one of their guys that's really good. I think his name was Colton Miller, I believe so. Um, but I, I think if they if they can protect their car and they can get good play action game with Josh Jacobs, who we know is an elite back, um, I think their I think their offense could be better than it was for sure. And look, Derek Carr Loki last year, Justin, he threw four thousand yards. Nobody really cares about it because they were losing, but he Loki had a, had a solid year for his standards. But nobody cares about Derek Carr because you know he yeah you guys heard a tidbit or the sound by him the other day saying he felt disrespected by guys in the media or players around the league. And a lot of, I heard a lot of comments, people saying that, well, maybe you should win some more games. Maybe they won't disrespect you. I'm like, that is true. But if the guy's having a good season, he had a good season. But at the end of the day, a lot of people pay attention to necessarily the wins and, and the win and loss column. So um, I think Derek Carr is, is – obviously, he's a starter. He's not, like, terrible. He's not, like, in the bottom half, but he's not in the top half either. So he's, like, somewhere in the middle. He's a, he's a solid quarterback to me. 
if they can protect him and they can run the football like they really – I know Gruden loves to run the football. If they can get Josh Jacobs going, he can be a 1,100, 1,200-rushing kind of guy, and they can play action you to death with Darren Waller, then obviously you add the dynamic aspect of adding Henry Rose. I think that will make their offense better. And obviously their defense is where they're going to struggle. They don't really have an elite corner, so they're not going to really cover guys from either the Chiefs or the Broncos, so it's going to be hard for – or even the Chargers for that matter. So it's going to be hard for them to stop guys through the air. But um, I know they have a solid pass rush with Max and Cleveland Furrow. And I know Jonathan Abram was, was going to have a good season before he brought um, – I think he uh, broke his hand, I think it was, in training camp last year. So then they have Carl Joseph as well. So they have some they have some interesting pieces on defense, but that's probably where they're going to struggle more than anything. But I think the offense can actually take a jump if they can actually protect Derek Carr and give him a solid run game behind him. All right. I think that's – I mean, that's a pretty solid argument. My, my thing – I'm just – I'm not a Derek Carr guy. I don't see it. He doesn't strike fear in me. I don't know if he just doesn't push the ball down the field enough um, to to pose a threat. And maybe it's because he didn't have that deep threat guy last year and he didn't have that number one receiver. Uh, I, th- I think Gruden is still one of the best play callers in football. You look at how – efficient and how effective they are on their opening drives when you know a lot of the NFL teams they script it you know Gruden and Andy Reid are cut from the same coaching cloth where they you know learned you script your first few plays and whenever they did that Derek Carr was very good and as soon as they went off script it definitely there was a big drop off in his play and his efficiency and his ability to push the ball down the field. So that'll be something interesting. I do like what Mayock's done. I think Mayock has done a tremendous job of building a roster in Las Vegas right now, they went out and got Nick Kowitzki or Kua, I can't say his last name. He's the linebacker that was in Chicago and Corey Littleton that they got from the Rams. So they added some speed at their linebacker positions, which I thought they desperately needed. But I still don't think that their secondary is good enough. And right now in the NFL, you've got to be able to cover people. And I think that that combined with the Derek Carr thing is why I, I have him finishing last, Caleb. Well, here's the thing why I have them finishing second place. Now, I know we probably all saw the stuff with Derek Carr might have a burner account. Well, this team's success at the current time, I don't think, will depend on Derek Carr all that much because I have a lot of faith in their running back, Josh Jacobs, and that crew of offensive linemen up front. Now, I know their defense is building – They're not quite where they want to be yet, but they have some interesting pieces. That'll be another weak spot of their team. But uh, their offensive line is not bad. They have some good pieces. They even have a good young player in John Simpson who got drafted this year by them who could come in off the bench, I think, for a lot of teams and start at guard. If I were the Raiders looking at my roster makeup right now, I would bench Derek Carr and put Marcus Mariota in as the starting quarterback. And I would really try to run a RPO heavy run type heavy system where they could really take advantage of guys like Darren Waller and an older Jason Witten while still being able to take advantage of Henry Ruggs speed on the uh, outside for like those RPOs. And, you know, Hunter Renfro comes from a system like that in Clemson. I think they could have a lot of success like that. I don't think that's something that's really been a hot media taker, what people have been looking at. But you look at what Marcus Mariota does. He is not good when he has to sit back in the pocket and pass. But if he can get the ball moving, they can get the ball running. And, you know, we've seen it a few times when he was in Tennessee. If they can run like some zone reads, some RPOs, he's not entirely terrible when they do that. 
But when you look at Derek Carr, they're going to have to play pro-style system. They're going to have to rely on all of this other stuff, and then they're going to have to rely on him being able to make throws down the field consistently, which he hasn't been proven to do, which I think maybe adding a couple of the receiver weapons will be able to help him a little bit. But I think there's a reason why John Gruden brought in Marcus Mariota in the offseason. I don't think it was just a name pickup. I think that he realizes he has a power football team. And in some ways, having a power football team in the modern kind of football with a mobile quarterback can actually be something that can help. So I don't know if that will happen. I think if they did do that, they would be more competitive than Denver and the Chargers. But again, their defense will probably not be good enough to be able to compete with second. But I don't think there's any defense or to be able to compete for second, but I don't think there's another defense in the division that's going to be able to keep up very well with that kind of thing. So I really think it's all about who can score the most points. And if they did end up going with Marcus Mariota, I think they could start to give teams a real hard time with that kind of a look. The Mariota thing is very interesting to me. I was a big fan of him when he was at Oregon, and I loved, obviously, that Chip Kelly system, and he's so athletic, he's so fast. So being able to put him in there, and I wouldn't be surprised if they did have a couple packages with him, regardless whether or not he started, where they threw him in there, maybe some red zone packages or something like that, and, and got those RPOs, got those zone reads going. But my biggest thing, I guess, it just go, it goes back to the quarterback. Um, I think about the throws that you have to make in the playoffs and, and in close games, and I just my faith is not there, unfortunately, for, for Mr. Derek Carr. Um, obviously you could prove me wrong because like you guys have mentioned, they did do a nice job surrounding him, surrounding him in talent. Um, and that helps a quarterback, obviously, uh, you, you can't go out there and throw to nobody. So they have the weapons now. And, and speaking about weapons, the team that I had in second is, is the Denver Broncos. And they're a team that I've kind of been on for a few months. And I think they're going to be the surprise team in the league. I think Vic Fangio is a very underrated coach. I think that he paid his dues and waited for too long, in my opinion, to finally become a head coach um, after having a ton of success as a defensive coordinator wherever he was. Um, and he's got that defense going again in Denver. Uh, there was a, you could tell at the end of the year, there was a little injection of energy as soon as they put Drew Locke into that lineup. Now, he still obviously needs to continue to grow and get better. Uh, but I think that there seems to be a thing with him in Denver where Eller might have found his, found his guy finally. Um, and the team seemed to rally around him, and he, he, played, he played okay for a rookie in the last few games. I'm not going to say he was some sort of stud or anything like that, but they also did the smart thing like the Raiders did, and they went out and they added all those playmakers like we had mentioned previously. They got K.J. Hamler, and they got – Jerry Judy, and they got these guys that will help them out. You know, they have two solid running backs now in Philip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon. I'm not a huge Melvin Gordon guy, but they do have depth at running back now. Um, they have Noah Fant, who looks like he is ready to ma make that next step at tight end in the NFL. An extremely athletic pass-catching tight end who can also block, who comes from that Iowa blocking system where you see a ton of guys that come out of there being able to to block, um, George Kittle being one of them, obviously. But Denver, that's my second pick. But CJ, um, I think you also had him up there too. So are you seeing the same things that I am? 
Yeah, I agree with you, Just. I had the same thing. Drew Locke um, showed us a little flash, a little spiciness towards the end of the season. I think Denver fans are excited because since Peyton Manning has kind of been like a circle, like a whirlwind, trying to find, like, pick a guy, throw him in there and see what guy works. So they've been, they've been through a lot of turnover in the last uh, four or five years. So to finally think they have a guy that could be their future is kind of is definitely exciting for them because I know everybody's been kind of questioning mainly John Elway, like how are you struggling to find a quarterback when this is the position that you're a Hall of Famer and you're known for? So if any position you shouldn't miss on, definitely shouldn't be quarterback. So I know Denver fans are definitely excited about Drew. Um, I'm rooting for him. He's a, he's, a, he's a kid. He's from Kansas City, so I'm definitely rooting for him. I want him to do well. I want him to, I want him to do too well versus the Chiefs, but I want, him, I want him to make a name for himself and become a starter, become a good player. So, um, But, yeah, like you said, just they have a lot of guys around him. Jerry Judy was the number one receiver in his class for a reason. KJ Hamler is probably the top five fastest guy in his class. He is pure speed athlete. I wouldn't be surprised if he's one of their starting punter kick returns this year too as well. Corlin Sutton is definitely going to be a guy that's probably going to be either Pro Bowl or All Pro this year. Corlin Sutton is a, is, a, is a beast, bro. He's 6'4". He catches dang near everything that's thrown at him. He makes a lot of plays. I know Ty Matthew had a lot of respect for him after they played the Broncos this year too. So I'm expecting a big year from Corlin Sutton for sure. And then, like you said, Noah Fan, Iowa's like a tight end factory. They have TJ Hawkinson, Noah Fan, George Kittle. That, that's like a fact. They're putting out tight ends almost every year now. So um, when you're coming from that system, guys, that's like the standard there for being a tight end. You have to do everything. And me playing tight end myself, I respect Noah Fan's game, especially George Kittle, because he literally he likes and enjoys blocking. You don't see too many tight ends that they'll do it because it's part of their job, but he actually enjoys it. He'll go a whole game without catching a pass, but he'll get 10 pancakes. He really likes doing it. So uh, whoever the tight end coach at, at, at Iowa is definitely going to get a pay raise because he's putting guys in the league like a factory every year. So uh, they, they have a lot of weapons. Von Miller is still one of the best pass rushers in the game. He's a guy that's an all-pro, a guy that's a top, a top 15, top 20 player in this league today right now. Um, obviously, we're expecting big things from, from Chubb. I think, I think everybody's expecting him to turn into that guy that could be a dominant pass rusher to be that number two. Because I think when Denver were in their heyday, they had Von Miller, they had Shane Ray, they had Demarcus Ware. They could throw bodies at you. They had Shaq Barrett, who also just went to Tampa and got paid. So they, they had guys they could just throw at you. So if they can get back to those days of – and obviously Brian Vangio from Chicago, so he's a defensive-minded guy. So uh, if they can get back to that old formula of really rushing the passer, and now they have a legit offense with legit weapons, they could be my team that could honestly probably – surprise people and maybe get a wild card. If, if there was a shocker team that got a wild card, I would probably pick Denver just because of the weapons they have and what kind of defense we know they're used to, the standard they're used to playing at. So obviously they lost some corners like Chris Harris is in with the Chargers now. They brought in A.J. Boye. I know they let Bradley Roby go as well. Um, Justin Simmons is a young up-and-coming safety. I think he could be really good as well too. I think a lot of players have you know, a lot of respect for him as well. So um, their, their team has a lot of good pieces on defense. I like their defense way more than, than, than the Raiders for sure. So that aspect-wise, why I put them over the Raiders, absolutely. But I think that weapons and those offenses, if they can get it clicking, I know it's a big if. I know me and Caleb kind of go back and forth on this. It's a big if. But if they can get it to work, and it kind of sucks this offseason, they don't have time to work. If they can get it all jailed together, Justin, that could be a scary offense. I'm not going to lie. Like, the Chiefs offense is the best in the league to me. But like you said, they have two running backs, Phillip Lindsay and Melvin Gordon. And if they get Drew with all these weapons, if they can protect him, which is the biggest question mark for this offense. Um, I know me and um, me and Caleb go back and forth always on the fold the kid from, um, I think, with the uh, – but the Colorado San Diego State, I know you told me Caleb was school he went to. We go back and forth on him a lot. If they can protect Drew and give him time, there's no reason why he couldn't get the ball to these playmakers. Like if they want to do an RPO system, they want to do West Coast, three-step, five-step drop a lot. They want to do a lot of play action. They can do whatever they want because they have players to get the ball to. They just have to do it. So that's probably the biggest question mark on that team and John Elway and that front staff. Are you going to protect your investment? You found your guy. You put weapons around him for a reason. Now you have to protect him. So that's probably the biggest question mark for this team but they're definitely going to be a team for me that i'm interested to watch 
ain't going to keep up with them for sure a lot this year. So, Caleb, are you, are, you're obviously not as high as on the Broncos as CJ and I, so talk to us. Tell us why not. You know, I'm not as high on them just because I think the lack of a real offseason is kind of probably in some ways hurt Drew Locke's development as a player and also the fact that they're going to be relying, not just like sprinkling into the mix, they're going to be relying on Jerry Judy and KJ Hamler on a regular basis. Now, Cortland Sutton's a very good player. They're going to be able to get him his looks. Uh, Melvin Gordon, you know, he's a good player, and so is Philip Lindsay. But really a big issue I see with the Broncos is up front, I still don't know if they are going to be any improved because that was obviously a very weak spot of their team last year. And Garrett Bowles, who is from Utah, when he was playing, the every time he's played the last few seasons, it seems like somebody for the Chiefs or somebody in general has been beating him for sacks. He has given up a lot of hits on the quarterback over the last couple of years. Now, probably a lot of that has to do with bad quarterback play. Drew Locke's more mobile option. He's quicker, but still, they have this big question mark at left tackle, and if it doesn't work out for Bowles this year, then, I mean, those guys are going to be having to draft something, and really, you look at their roster, you know, they're not all that deep. They did go bring in Graham Graham Glasgow from Detroit in free agency, and they drafted Lloyd Cushenberry the third in there to be their center. And they have Dalton Reisner as a solid player, but in the NFL, like you say, it's all about the tackle position. You know, their right tackle right now is looking like it's going to be Elijah Wilkinson. He's going to be, you know, he's an average player. Garrett Bowles, he's been below average at best. So I just struggle to think that not having that good presence around an offensive line is going to hurt them, especially considering I think they're going to try to do something like the Chiefs did, which they want to try to probably scheme around poor offensive line play with good quarterback play and good receiver play because they do have Sutlin, Judy, Hamler, and Fanton there with Gordon out of the backfield. That's nice, but not every team can play like the Chiefs do, and it certainly took Andy Reid a lot longer to figure his system out than just one offseason in which these guys, these new guys, haven't been able to gel or really connect with anybody at all what's going on. So I think we can see their offense starting out slowly. I think that it could cost them some games early. And then defensively, uh, they brought in Jarrell Casey. I think their defense is getting older. And they lost Chris Harris. They go out and bring in A.J. Bouye. I think Bouye's game is kind of starting to decline. I don't really think there's any threat from anyone. Now, obviously, they're still going to have to plan for Vaughn Miller and Bradley Chubb as pass rushers, but I really just don't think that those are – I think that Chubb's coming off of his injury still and uh, Miller's kind of getting up there in age. There's really – that defense to me has kind of lost like its scary factor. You know what I mean? They used to have that defense. You know, they'd come in and you'd be like, oh, well, they got Peyton Manning on offense. He's going to throw for five touchdowns, and we'll be lucky to get that. I think that their defense was kind of exposed at times last year for being older, and I think that they let them down 
in some big situations. So I only see it being an average year. I think their offense will carry them. I think that they start out slowly on offense, which I think will in the end cost them. I can still see Drew Locke having a good season, though we're going to have to see how he performs in big games and key situations because we didn't see a ton of the big game side last year since Denver was so bad. But it'll be interesting down the stretch to see if they're going to be competitive or not for a wild card spot. Yeah, you know, one of the things we always talk about with Kansas City is how important it is to protect Patrick Mahomes. And that's really with NFL, any NFL team is you want to pack, protect your guy that's under center. And like you said, there are some questions along that offensive line. They did try try to address it a little bit, um, like you said. So we'll see if that if that really pays off for him. And that leads us to the last team that we're, we're going to talk about for the AFC West, and that's the Chargers. I have them as a team that defensively I think that they could finish as potentially one of the top five units in the entire NFL. They have a ton of talent. They have pass rushers. They have guys that can cover. Um, they added some linebackers. They added Kenneth Murray in the draft. They added Nick Vigil in free agency, who's a pretty good cover linebacker. Um, but, you know, Casey Hayward on the defensive side of the ball is is one of the top corners in the NFL. They have, obviously, Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram, who are a terrific pass rush duo. Linvel Joseph along the inside, of the, in the interior of the defensive line. And then Derwin James, who is one of the most versatile safeties in all of football. They truly have w- potentially one of the best units in, uh, in all of the NFL, not just the AFC West, on that defensive side of the ball. The thing that is kind of scary with them is, one, they have Tyrod Taylor playing quarterback, who, as somebody that lives near the Buffalo area, I saw plenty of him while he was uh, the starter for the Buffalo Bills, and he is kind of who he is. He's a journeyman. You know, he's a sixth-round pick. He's a tremendous athlete. He throws a pretty nice deep ball, but he's not a guy that's going to be able to beat you consistently through the air, um, which is kind of how today's NFL is won. Um, they also don't have any depth at receiver after Keaton Allen or Mike Williams, right? They have Joe Reed and KJ Hill, who they drafted as rookies, who are they're going to have to lean on as a third wide receiver. Hunter Henry is a good tight end, um, but he's had some injury issues. And then, you know, they obviously got to make sure that they solidify that offensive line because it was not good last year. Um, obviously Tyrod helps that because he is such a tremendous athlete and his ability to run. So he will be able to escape if, if there is pressure, but offensively, they're just, I'm not sure where they're going to be able to go with what they have. I do think though, that their defense is going to keep them in games and you know, if they can be efficient enough, if Tyrod can be efficient enough passing the ball, that they should be pretty solid. Obviously Austin Eckler is a good running back. I just, I don't expect him to get the kind of, uh, work that he did when Philip Rivers was the quarterback. Philip Rivers dumped the ball off to running backs and checkdowns at a higher rate than anyone in the NFL. Uh, Tyrod's not going to do that. He's just going to run with the ball. That's that's what he does. So it'll be interesting to see how they're able to mesh on the offensive side of the ball. And if it takes too long, you know, are they going to pull Tyrod and are they going to put Justin Herbert in there? Um, kind of like we saw with the Broncos. You know, they weren't really doing anything and. They ended up handing the reins over to Drew Locke towards the end of the year. So we'll be interesting to see how they do offensively, but their defense will keep them in games because they are so supremely talented. Um, Caleb, where where did you have them finishing and kind of what are what are you seeing from them? All right. So I had them finishing dead last, and you know, 
that's usually something that doesn't reflect well on a head coach. But I actually think that having Anthony Lynn as their head coach is a good thing for this team, despite their not having a poor record. And despite them, I think they might have a poor record again because he has really done since he came to town a phenomenal job of trying to build that defense. You know, they've given the Chiefs some trouble over the last couple of seasons. They've Chiefs have been in some close contests with them because their defense has been able to get a turnover here or there or make a key stop when they need to. And I think that starts up front in their defensive line, Joey Bosa and Linval Joseph, Melgan Ingram. That's a crew up there. And then just like you said, adding Kenneth Murray with all that talent they have in their secondary is big. But why I think this team finishes last is because it's much of the same as we saw last year, offensive inconsistency. I know they've got Keenan Allen and Mike Williams, and you know, Keenan Allen, he likes to talk himself up a lot. He doesn't seem to always perform when the stage is the brightest. Now, maybe losing Phillip Rivers has helped them a lot. Tyrod Taylor's a good football player, but he's here for only one reason, and that's to buy time for them while they try to figure out what their plan is for Justin Herbert, which I feel like that was a front office pressure decision made on Lynn because they had no real quarterback. They have no real direction on offense. But looking at their situation on offense, their offensive line is bad. Hunter Henry's a good tight end, and Austin Eckler's a very solid running back. But I think it's just these inconsistencies we're going to see from their play calling as far as that side of the ball goes and how else it goes. I do think that even though Anthony Lynn is a good coach, I think that they're going to try to let him figure out what the deal is with Herbert. But if they can't get him developed, then I don't think we're going to see him around the Chargers too much more, which is bad because he's a very good defensive football coach. But like you say, they're going to want Herbert to come in at some point in this season for Tyrod Taylor. And I think that that should be somewhat concerning because Herbert, to me, still had a lot of red flags for a quarterback that went so highly in the draft. I, there were guys that could have been taken over him. And I think that having him in there as a rookie with as bad as that offensive line is, is a recipe for disaster. But also if they aren't able to get better production out of that wide receiver core and that unit, then I think they're going to struggle also. Cause I do think their wide receiver core is a touch overrated, but I mean, they have a great defense. They could be the best team in the NFL defensively. Their secondary is loaded. Kenneth Murray's a guy we all had our eyes on in the draft in Chiefs kingdom, and they have two fan fantastic pass rushers up front. So it's going to be an interesting season, but I think at the end of the day, their offense really holds them back. CJ, is that kind of what you're seeing too? Um, I know we both talked about how good their defense potentially could be, but their offense seems to be is what really could limit them in 2020. Yeah, I, I agree with Caleb wholeheartedly. That's probably one of the reasons why I had them finishing probably somewhere around last, mainly because, like you said, their defense is elite. They have playmakers at every position from secondary to the back end to the up front and their front seven. So they have playmakers on every side of the ball, and they have depth as well. Like Desmond King's another DB that doesn't get enough love as well. So 
um, Jason Verrett as well. So they they have a really good. I think they actually let him go. I don't think he's on the team anymore. But they have a lot of depth in their secondary, like you said, Caleb. So they could be really scary. Um, that's why I said they have arguably a top five roster outside of their quarterback because they have really really good playmakers. Um, I actually like their receiving core. Um, I know like losing Tyrell kind of kind of sucked, but I, I think Mike's going to take another big step this year. Kent Elite, we know what he is. Hunter Henry's a really good tight end. Um, and then they have Austin Eckler, and then they have Justin Jackson as well as, as their running back. So um, the biggest question mark for them is quarterback. When you have inconsistency there, I think that's why you can't really put them above. <clears throat> excuse me, teams like Denver or Oakland. And, and and I could be wrong. They could be better than we expected. Maybe Tyrod Taylor turns this magical corner and has a Ryan Tannehill-type run. We don't know. Maybe it could happen. They have the defense to do it. They have the coach to do it. They have players around him. So there's really no excuse for him not to be successful. But like you said, Justin, he's been in good situations before, and he hasn't really thrived and taken that next step like as we thought he should. So um, I think you take a, uh, that high of a draft pick, like you said, Caleb, on, on Herbert, he's eventually going to play probably sooner than, than he's expected to play. But I think Tyrod Taylor may be frustrating to the coaching staff, to Anthony Lynn. He's not, probably not making enough plays. He plays it too safe sometimes, doesn't really take chances. Uh, he got beat up by Baker Mayfield. We all saw how that experiment went in Cleveland. So um, I think Herbert probably will get thrown to the fire earlier than they want him to. But, um, yeah, like you said, I, I love their roster outside of their quarterback. I was really campaigning for them to go get Cam Newton. If they would have got Cam Newton, I think that's a team that legitimately could have got a wild card spot in the AFC. With that defense, with those weapons, and you add a dynamic player like him to that team, that would have made them so much better than what they are right now. But they decided to go the route of Tyrod Taylor, and then they decided to sign him, and then they took Justin Herbert. So now they got what they got. So we're going to see how this development goes for for Herbert out of Oregon. So we'll see if he can take that that step into becoming a good young quarterback. But like I think we're all in agreement, he was okay at Oregon, but didn't really show any flashes of why he should have been that high of a pick. Like Caleb said, he had some spots of his game I thought he could have improved on. So. But um, he but he got picked where he's at, and he is where he is. So hopefully, Mr. Lynn can make it work with him. But we'll see what happens. But yeah, I got them ranked pretty low, just because it's a, it's an offensive driven league, bro. If you can't score points, your defense can only do so much. I compare this to the Chicago Bears situation, Justin. Like the Bears have a top five defense in the league; they have playmakers everywhere. But Mitchell Trubisky has so many three and outs. That defense is on the field so much; they get so tired, they can't get turnovers and they can't get any rhythm because they're literally going to the sideline, sucking wind, getting some water or Gatorade, and then they're back on the field again, and then they're right back on it after that. So that's probably how I feel the situation in the Chargers could go. They have an amazing defense, but if Tyrod Taylor or Herbert is getting three and out, three and out, three and out, and they're not scoring any points, your defense can't be good if they're tired all the time and on the field for 70 percent of the plays. So that's kind of why I feel their team won't be as good as they're supposed to be mainly because I think the quarterback position is probably going to hold them back. Yeah, and like we've said many times on this show that it is a quarterback-driven league, so um, a lot of your success will be dependent upon that. So one of the things I kind of want to leave here on is something I listen to a lot of different podcasts, and one of the podcasts I always listen to is the Pat Mayo Experience. Um, So shout out to them. He's got one of the best shows. If you're a fantasy person, go listen to his show. It's the best. Um, they do golf and football and everything, but one of the things they were just recapping the PGA championship. So I'm a big golf fan. So if you didn't get to see it, the PGA championship was absolutely incredible. Colin Marikawa out of, out of Kale, he's 23 years old, just won his first major, um, with some incredible play down the stretch. But one of the points that one of the people on the Pet May experience show, um, Jeff Feinberg was talking about was how he thinks that not having fans at the event really kind of helped probably him get through that because, you know, there was nobody there to hear, 
you know, to, to put that extra added pressure on there. There was nobody there with, you know, if somebody else made a big putt, giving the screams and the roars to kind of get in your head, like, Oh no, something just happened. Somebody just did something really good. Um, so I kind of wanted to throw it out to you guys taking this over to the football side of the things is if you see a limited capacity crowd or even no crowd, do you think that that can play a difference where, you know, maybe a younger quarterback like a Drew Locke or like a Justin Herbert, if he's thrown in there and they're not having the fans there, that maybe there isn't as much pressure because they don't have those reactions. You know, you think about how crazy Arrowhead can get, um, that if that the fans aren't there screaming their heads off and going crazy, maybe that does kind of create an advantage to a younger roster, a more unexperienced um, type player. Caleb, you got any thoughts on that? You know, here's my thought on that. As fans, it's fun to do all that stuff. And I do think from some instances, the crowd noise does help as far as getting uh, false starts and getting plays in later than that. But, you know, like once the ball is snapped and the play gets going, I think that most players are able to block out the outside stuff and really focus in on what is going on in the inside stuff. You know, it's kind of like that. It's kind of like the old adage, if you're ready to go, then none of the outside noise should be bothering you anyway. So I think maybe there could be some advantage to not having a crowd there to yell loudly for a young player like a Drew Locke, or even if we were to see a Justin Herbert. I also think it could hinder them because they would probably be able to clearly hear the uh, things that Tyron Matthew and Frank Clark would have to say to them before they're getting ready to uh, before they're getting ready to line up and try to defend the snap. They might be able to hear that more clearly, and that might frighten them a little bit more. But uh, I think there's definitely could be some impact made, but I don't think it'll be as much as is anticipated. Because I think that, you know, if guys are ready to go, they're going to be ready to go. I think that Patrick Mahomes could go play in any stadium. A guy like him, crowd noise wouldn't bother him. There's a lot of guys that are like that, you know, like Russell Wilson won't bother them. But we'll see, you know, maybe it'll help a guy like Derek Carr, who we've seen struggle with things like that over his career also. You know, you never know. Every guy's different. Yeah, and that's kind of, I just thought it was such an interesting point to make is that, you know, especially in golf, obviously, it's so different because it's an individual sport and you're hearing the, the ebbs and swings of that. But like, even like you just said, like a guy like Derek Carr, CJ, do you think that would benefit for somebody? Because he's a guy that clearly, he hears all the noise. He lists, he reads all the Twitter. Him and his brother have blocked 90% of the Chiefs fans probably on Twitter and everybody else who's said any one negative thing about him. So is it something that maybe maybe it would benefit him to not have the fans there heckling and screaming and going crazy on him trying to distract him? No, that's that's hilarious, Justin. I know him and his, uh, his brother David. And anytime any um, analyst or any player – says anything contradicting about Derek's game, he immediately jumps on him from the jump. So I completely agree with you on that. They probably have blocked her. That Caleb said earlier that Derek probably does have a burner account because if you're talking about the fans getting to you and you're a little pissed off and disrespected, it means you're probably listening to the noise a little bit. So um, I, I definitely believe he does, definitely does listen to people, um, more, probably more so than he should. So an empty stadium would probably help him because now if he just literally focus on the game, it's almost like high school, like 7-on-7 or 11-on-11 in practice, literally just football. There's no crowd noise, no advantages, no 
is probably going to piss off a lot of Seattle Seahawks fans with no crowd noise to help you. Even Arrowhead fans, there's nothing the defense can do now. It's literally just football. So the better team is truly going to win. No more advantages of like getting like false starts or offside penalties or anything or guys jumping offsides or to get the offensive advantage or getting them in third and long and second and long to the pass rush and the tackles have to look in at the ball so they can't know the snap count. So it's definitely going to help um, the offenses a lot more. But like Caleb said, it could be an advantage to the defense as well because now you can hear all the checks, hear everything they say in a huddle. Um, are they going to like make the players back up farther away from the ball or anything to keep it different now? Are they going to pump crowd noise in, into the stadium like the NBA has done? Uh, I'm sure the league will try to do something. I don't think they'll have just – football just being played i mean me and us as football fans we we would love it like i'd be fine with it um but i think they're probably gonna do some kind of music some kind of crowd noise to pump into it rather than have like a, a quiet stadium which would be it'd be it'd be kind of cool it'd be kind of weird for the casual fan who doesn't really uh pay attention to football and the details like that but i think Derek carr could have a better year mainly because there won't be any crowd noise anybody heckling him telling him like what he can and cannot do booing him after bad throws cheering him after he made like a check down or something like that so I think for the guys that are trying to make names for themselves or trying to prove themselves again, could be better. Um, I think this, I think this mainly will, if anything, will probably help out the DBs because now you're going to hear guys coming out the huddle. Like, you know, some receivers, Justin, like don't know what route they have, like younger guys or guys who want newer teams. Maybe a guy that's got promoted off practice squad, you know, when they run out the huddle and they say, hey, what I got, what I got. And they'll say, oh, you got a seven or a nine or a corner or a slant. And you hear them say that, that changes everything. Now I know what route you're running, especially with the down and distance and everything. So, um, this year would definitely be interesting to see what the what the league does as far as like crowd noise and everything because this definitely could make an impact on quarterbacks like Derek Carr, Justin Herbert, and a lot of young guys around the league for sure. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, again, shout out to Pat Mayo. His ad is at the PME, the Pat Mayo Experience, and Jeff Feinberg um, for I just kind of stole their point there, but I thought it was super interesting to bring over and talk about through a football perspective. But uh, let's let's get out of here. Uh, I think it was an awesome show. Did a little AFC West preview. We're only a month out from from kickoff, from the Chiefs taking on the Houston Texans uh, in the actual regular season football. Um, let's make sure everybody's wearing your masks out there so we can actually get to regular season football. But before we get out of here, Caleb, why don't you tell everybody what you're working on? All right, guys. So as always, you can find me at CJ Scoobs on Twitter. Uh, last week, I was posting a lot of clips about the Chiefs safety unit, how I think that uh, Thornhill and Matthew and Sorensen, all three are able to use the other players to play off their strengths to where it'll come back and help the defense. You can check that out. I have an article I just finished up writing today where I go in and I talk about how great a duo Frank Clark and Chris Jones could actually end up being. And I think that's interesting because we've seen a lot of great pass rushers and a lot of great defense in Kansas City. So I think it'll be interesting to see how special these two guys can be because they're both going to be healthy. And I think that it could be potentially for a big year. But yeah, I'm always going to be posting film clips and Make sure to keep up with the GMKC, the ones that I've been able to get on. Uh, yeah. Uh, CJ, what do you got going on, man? Um, you can catch me on the aftermath with my guys Grant and Chris. Um, we're probably going to make a new episode probably coming out very soon. Other than that, you guys can follow me on Twitter at CJEEZY81, CGZ81. Um, I'm always going to come back and hang out with my guys, Just and Caleb on Coach's Corner. If you guys were luckily have me back, I'd be a pleasure. I love talking football with everyone. But other than that, just hanging out and talking ball on Twitter. That's pretty about it. Much it for me. 
Awesome stuff, guys. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter, jdiz1617. Um, I got the Power Rankings Digest coming out this Wednesday, and I also got another article coming out on Thursday talking about uh, the impact that Willie Gay Jr. and Clyde Edwards Hilaire could have and how they could potentially be the best rookie duo that Kansas City has had since Derek Johnson and Jamal Charles, two of the all-time um, best Chiefs players that we've had in Arrowhead Stadium. Um, other than that, uh, I think that's it. But make sure you're going over to Arrowhead Live. Make sure you're checking out all the podcasts that we have out there, guys. We're putting out content every single day. Make sure you stop at the Arrowhead Live store. Get your merchandise. There's some awesome new stuff going on. We just got the new rebranding. We just got the new logo. So you're going to want to make sure that you're checking out and uh, checking out everything that we got going on. Uh, but as always, guys, really thank you for joining us. Like I said, wear your masks. We want to see Pat Mahomes and the Kansas City Chiefs repeat as Super Bowl champions. So let's do everything we can to make sure that that happens. Thank you very much, Chiefs Kingdom. Thank you very much, NFL fans. We love you. We'll talk to you later.